Hi, this is Garrett Wong, and I played Ensign Kim on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to another competitive edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is in your base killing all your dudes. For this episode we come together to discuss the recent Nerdfest movie, Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg. Joining me across cyberspace are some some nerds, so we've got Chris. Hello. And Isaac. Uh, hello. Welcome into this chat room, or whatever they call it in the Oasis. Yeah, we'll go with chat room. So we are, of course, here to talk about Ready Player One, as I mentioned in the introduction, and uh, it's a film. I'll give it that. It is a film that I saw and have opinions on. So without further ado, we like to start with no spoilers. So Isaac, you go first. Well, I, like, once again, I suppose, I don't know how are we putting them out, but I've been negative on this show before. And I'm going to be even more negative again. Because I absolutely hate this film. I hated almost every single moment of it. I thought... So, spoiler-free-wise, there's... Well, there's like a horrible... I don't know, people who listen to this and, you know, you buy... You know, you, you buy your nerdy people, you go into Forbidden Planet and whatever, and you go and watch children's films in your, in your Avengers t-shirts and stuff, and... Our lives are sort of coated in a sort of thin veneer of shame that has to sort of like, yeah, I like these, I like you know, Avengers and comics and stuff and science fiction, Star Wars, etc. Like, I'm not a big screaming, horrible man child who is obsessed with pop culture and will shout down anyone who can't remember the director of Star Trek 3 or something. And the whole internet is crowded with these people and it makes whatever we do or it makes like it makes the hobby of enjoying science fiction and comic book things like a horrible mess and this film only goes to promote that sort of negative toxic atmosphere everyone every character in this film is a screaming pop culture obsessed whinging internet baby <laughs> like there's an early point in the film where two characters like, start off by doing, like, a mini sort of angry, intense pub quiz, and then it's like, you're not a real... Um, what's, the, what's the term they use? What are they gunter? called? Gunter, yeah. It's like, you're not a real gunter because you haven't, you know, you haven't, been, you haven't been there and you haven't, don't know all the stuff and you haven't experienced certain things that, you know, this character has and that character hasn't. And, yeah, it's all of that. It's all the horrible, whingy, nasty part of like pop culture stuff and well style well yeah other than that like sort of you know this is mixed in with boring replaceable characters and sort of long hideous at reference heavy scenes that just are dizzifying and make you feel sick and I think we yeah, I was in, yeah, we went and saw it was in 3D and there's loads of points I had to take the glasses off and just sort of hold my head in my hands 
like, why is it? Why? Why is this happening? Because I'm a minute, just a minute to not look at things. It was yeah, zero stars out of five. I have more zero to say. stars. Yeah, it's my second ever <laughs> zero. zero star review. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Rogue One is the the first zero star review, but we're not talking about Rogue One today. That'll be saved for another angry podcast. Uh, we've already had the Rogue One podcast. Yeah, yeah, you're a bit late right. for the angry podcast if you right. want to do that one. Yeah. yeah, too busy. I was too busy not knowing you existed when we recorded that. Yeah, too busy not knowing. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was a uh, scathing. It, it was very scathing. Uh, Chris, what did you think? Wow. Well, I am of a different opinion to you guys. To be honest, I um, my opinion yet. <laughs> I have already kind of hinted at your opinion by the way you've opened. Um, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a good bit of fun. I know it's not a in-depth, complex political thriller about the harsh truths of virtual reality worlds. However, I thought it was a very, very fun watch. Um, it doesn't follow exactly onto the book. There's elements of that that I like and there's elements of that that I dislike. I think it's very difficult to get all the different ideas that are in the book uh, onto screen and there's very good reasons for them not to try and do all of them and also there's bits of the book that didn't work so you, why would you try and convert it to screen? But overall I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good watch. Um, I'm less negative than Isaac is. Although I didn't like it. I thought, I agree with a lot of Isaac's points about it kind of having these really dull and toxic characters strewn throughout. Uh, The people that you follow just aren't interesting. And this is a sin that it takes from the book as well. Um, The book won't be going down in history as a literary masterpiece because it's it's not. We have all read the book, yeah? All three of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Cool, yeah. I uh, just wanted to clear that up for our listeners. I already knew. I thought the book was okay, although it's an easy read, but it's not a good read. And the main character, Parzival, or Wade, uh, is a complete creep in the book. In this film, he's less of a creep, although it's still there. Um, and we'll get on to the kind of key differences or some of the differences a bit later on. But yeah, I wasn't a fan of this. There's one or two sequences that I quite liked. Some of the ideas that Spielberg threw in, I mean, I suppose, or his screenwriter, whoever, uh, threw in were interesting and it definitely improves from the book. It's better than the book. It's a, it's, it's a much more cohesive thing than the, the book. But on the whole, not a, not a fan. Not a fan of this film at all. So, Chris, you're in the minority. We're going to gang up on you and make fun of you. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> That's it. The, we're, we're not above mocking people for their opinions on Neil Before Pod. No, we are. It's just uh, it's just good-natured ripping. He, he'll get us back. Yeah. He'll break the server or something. That's what he does. He'll send out... He'll do, like, he'll, he'll release this on his own self-edited one in his... It's put like helium effects over all our voices, so everything we say will sound really dumb and stupid, and it'll like, I don't know, put silly clown noises in the background or something, and make his own anti, anti Neil before blog release. Can you do? I don't know. What's the copyright on Neil before blog? There isn't any. <laughs> very very lax. Very lax. <laughs> yeah. Um as you can hear from the legally distinct music that I haven't chosen yet. 
Okay, so we've got our spoiler-free chat out of the way. Should we get straight into spoilers and dig deep into this thing that's yeah. not that deep? Are we ready to put on the headset to do the spoiler world thing? I am. I totally am. I thought we already were. <laughs> okay. Right. Now we can. We're deep into the dark oasis. There must be a dark oasis. If there's a dark web, there must be a dark oasis. Uh, and we can now say what we want about this film. So we'll kind of start with the story, such as it is. Uh, the narrative is focused on an Easter egg hunt. Uh, for those not in the know, an Easter egg is a hidden thing in a video game. Uh, or a book, or, or a TV show, or, or a film. That can be found by the, the eagle-eyed among us. People that watch the background, you know, uh, pay attention to little minute details just to pick out little references here and there. This whole film is a hunt for that and in order to do that they have to get three keys that that make them participate in three challenges by a man called James Halliday played by... Oh, oh Mark God. Rylance. Played by Mark Rylance, yes, correct. Uh, so basically he's a super nerd and he's encouraging other super nerds to follow in his footsteps and in return they'll get like a trillion dollars. Uh, is that a fair summary of the story? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, so what do we think of how the story played out? Um, Chris, you can start with a positive, uh, if you th- if you are indeed positive about the story. Um, I am semi-positive about the story, actually. I mean, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a sort of fun Willy Wonka world with uh, an Easter egg at the end of it. It's what I think that story enables that's fun. I mean, you've kind of laid into the book a bit and you've called it an easy easy read, but I found it a sort of easy, fun read. If, you, if, you know, if you're sitting there and you're just wanting something that's quick to read and quite good fun to go through and not to overanalyze and pick through every line of it, then I think it's quite a good little plot. Um I think what the film does is it condenses the time frame that you've got in the book. The book sort of takes place over, you know, I think the impression is that you get a few years or at least a good few months out of it. Yes, I think it's at least a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I took it anyway, to be a good few years in in the book. And they've condensed this down in the film to take place sort of what feels like over a weekend almost. Um, You don't really get that big an impression of time passing really um but i enjoyed the story i think it's quite a neat idea that you would have this virtual world that would take over you know especially if the world outside has been absolutely pants um what is it is the cornstarch riots or the cornstarch wars that they talk about the the bandwidth riots or bandwidth riots yeah can you imagine if everyone's internet speed was suddenly throttled the riots i'm thinking yeah you know what i think i think the world would fall to pieces at that point you know i think we're pretty much obsessed with our devices now if someone switched off the internet we'd all go in a bit of a huff what are you talking Um, about we're all in the same room having this conversation yeah we are totally uh totally in the same place Two of, two of us are in the same, actually two of us in the same flat, but not in the same room. So Yeah, yeah, like two two of you together and I'm left outside alone in the cold in my little van, uh, parked outside on the street, my little UPS delivery van. But you know, whatever. And you, yeah, and you, know, you two and keep you, your nice running water and electricity and I'll just sit out here in my van. And you may or may not be a teenage girl. I may or may not be. Can't confirm it that you're... That you are or aren't. So. 
I might not even be human. Maybe not. Maybe not. How do you know? We don't. Yeah. Uh, sorry, as you were saying. Uh, <laughs> as we're saying, it's a bit of a it's a fun sort of chase hunt movie. It's that's that's all it is. It's it's people trying to find a MacGuffin and doing it through an elaborate series of means. I think the little bit that I feel is sort of missing from the film that you get more of an impression of in the book is the real world and how brutal the real world outside is. Um, They very quickly gloss over sort of what IOI does, Um, you know, with the sort of labour camps, essentially virtual reality labour camps, (laughs) uh, for people to sort of pay off device plans if if they go sort of seconds overdue they're suddenly sort of uh, ripped out their seat and taken and thrown in one of these centres and you know all of this is kind of glossed over really really quickly in the film it's sort of a quick chat with Artemis about real world consequences and then it's glossed over for the rest of it really uh, with no serious thought given to it so I was kind of disappointed that some of the, the real world aspects of it are ripped out. Also, you don't get the impression in the book, you get the impression that everyone is sort of 80s obsessed uh, because of this hunt. You know, it sort of brought back a lot of retro things so that people can try and figure out clues uh, that Halliday's left behind, whereas you don't quite get that impression in the real world that you see. However, I think the way that they've uh, shot things like the stacks is exactly as I sort of pictured it in my head. Well, the stacks are taken from the well, not the like one of the book covers, aren't they? There's a very yeah, like it's yeah. The, the design of those is like pretty much just like exactly as it is. And well, from the the book, you know, the the one of the covers. I think it was like the first edition or second edition yeah. or something. I, lo- I love the film theory chat about the the stacks and how it's a really crappy way for people to live in terms of low income housing. There would actually be cheaper building low income housing, and uh, and they wouldn't fall over. Because, um, because you know, stacking trailers on top of each other is not a workable plan. I think it's just a very good image, isn't it, in your head? I think it's not perhaps the most sensible image, but, you know. It's, one it's of handy for selling the, you know, the world's not great if people are just living in caravans just hastily bolted on top of other caravans. So I suppose it, yeah, I suppose it's more of a... It's, it makes more of a dystopian feel than it would if it was just, you know, people in skyscrapers like they do now. Yeah, and or I mean the thing is, if you, yeah, if you put up a, a set of a, a sort of shanty town, a, a typical shanty town, then you know you've kind of seen that before, or you've had that described before. But I think that's a kind of different way of doing it, I suppose. Uh, and then you don't really get much of an impression of how the other half live either. Because you don't really see sort of big, well, you see high rises in the distance, but you don't really get the impression of how other people are living. No. Um, and I guess, I suppose that's deliberate. You know, it's the typical working class hero type narrative in, in some respects. It's, you know, this guy comes from nothing and becomes the ruler of essentially the world at the end, which is, I don't know, it's wish fulfillment to the extreme, really. Um, Story wise, I think. I mean, I think the story is an improvement over the book. I can see why things were changed to to create a bit more urgency. Um, although I think the way it tells its story is really flawed. It starts off 
it starts off like a lot of sci-fi films or or TV shows or whatever do, you know, with someone saying, "Hi, my name is this, and here's the world I live in, and I'm going to explain the world to whoever is listening, even though I'm not actually narrating to anyone, and this narration doesn't run through the film." You know, it's that in this world, this is what happens, and this is how things work, and it's it's clumsy and it's boring, and it's just it just shows that. It just shows a complete inability to world build, or it would if it wasn't Steven Spielberg, who is great at world building. And the thing is, the weirdest thing is, the opening, practically the opening sequence is that race. And that tells you everything you need to know about the Oasis without telling you anything, you know, without someone just explaining it to you. Because the way it's like, okay, people die. Their, you know, their avatars get reset to zero. When they die, you can collect coins. They can drive around in whatever the hell they want. They can look however they want. Uh, they can create these mental worlds that just couldn't exist in the real world. It tells you, it actually is a good summary of everything you need to know about that concept without telling you about it. But it kind of loses impact because they've just spent all that time telling you about it. So and, and you get that kind of thing throughout where it just kind of points you in directions and says, here's where we're going now and this is why. And it's just really ugly storytelling. Yeah, it's surprising that like the same guy who made Jaws and Jurassic Park is making this. Yeah, yeah, films that are famous for how they build their worlds. Or even, I mean, AI isn't a great film, but that's, you know, that does world building much better than this does. Um I'm trying to think of other Spielberg films, you know, where where he has to build a concept from scratch. The BFG does it better. Tintin does it better, you know, um, without just telling you everything. Does a race count as an Easter egg, or is that an, a race? Well, it was the... The first Easter egg is that you have to finish a race first. Yeah. Which isn't really, like... Easter eggs are supposed to be, like, you know, hidden. I suppose there's the... There's the, the solution is path. Easter egg. Well, yeah, the solution's Easter egg, I guess. Yeah, well, the the finishing the race sort of gives you the clue to find the egg at the end, doesn't it? It's it's finishing the race gives you a clue, the clue gives you, a, and you get a key by passing that first test, and you've got to have all your keys at the end in order to get to the egg. The one one of the major issues I had was that the the solution to all of the riddles seemed really easy. You know, it's it it's took them how long to figure this out and. It, but it's so weird the way it points in the direction. So um, Wade or Parzival, whatever the hell you want to call him, he goes to this archive and he's like, I want to look at this really specific day in Halliday's life because I feel like it might be important. And then suddenly it has the answer. And it's like, how did you get there? I don't understand how you got to that point. And it, although it's preceded by the, this thing stuck in my head, maybe it's because Artemis said it because she's hot. It's like, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> well, I, like... I know Craig doesn't agree with me, but I was like, Halliday's the villain of the film, isn't he? That's my... Because his whole thing is... Well, at the end of the film, you find out that his big message is don't spend too much time in the Oasis because you'll miss out on life and stuff. But his method of sending out this message is to force everyone to be as obsessed with pop culture as he was in a a trillion dollar Easter egg hunt only so at the end he can tell them to go outside it's like you set up this big sort of like oh yeah reality is real so make sure you you know get the most out of your life but also like here's every recorded memory film and TV thing I've ever seen 
troll through this for several, several years and then, like, get super obsessed into whatever I was obsessed with because, you know, the Oasis is the biggest thing in the world. It's like all the money is made there and everything's made there and and people are dying over this only for him at the end to be like, oh, well, well done, nerd. Well done for following all the... wasting all your time indoors. Like, now, you know, don't forget to go outside or whatever. It seems like he's... He's a very sort of, ne- like... It's, it's a very sort of negative character and he's not very... Like... He's kind of... He would be a tyrant in another movie. If it was like, this, this guy who's like this genius but also recluse thingy is forcing everyone to live through this this system which you know it's it's caused all sorts of horrors and you know it's all gone wrong basically and but do you not think that's because he's not around sort of steering the ship anymore i don't think he ever created the oasis thinking oh well everyone is going to use this all the time for absolutely everything i don't and there was no forced participation unless you're talking about sort of fear of missing out kind of thing that people do today you know i don't want to be on facebook but all my friends are on facebook messenger and if i'm not there then i'm going to miss out on this event or this thing that people are doing so i've got to be on facebook or i've got to be on instagram because if i'm not there i'm going to miss that thing I, i don't think it was ever you know that he was ever sort of corporate overlord in there going you must be on this and everyone i want an empire built based on this tool it seems like it came from humble beginnings and then sort of just spawned beyond his control um you know yeah, he built as a recluse rebel, he built yeah. somewhere that he could hide within not particularly building something that he wanted people to spend their time in but it's very clearly like when he was still alive, he was very clearly very successful because he was interviewed by like, Time mm. Man of the Year and all this. So he must have known, oh yeah, by the way, this thing has gone really well. And I suppose maybe it's like, we don't, like, we don't, do we know how he, I don't think the film tells you how he died. Does the book tell you, like, is he it something died, that he's yeah, had time to say... ponder over or is it yeah. like, is it an illness or is it just a sudden, I can't remember how it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think the, film i can't remember the book but certainly the film just tells you and then he died yeah he just died yeah. so you don't know if he had like has he had time to reconsider the thing like this message in his own life a part of this world and is this is this will and challenge something he set up far in advance of his death just in case the implication i got is it was some kind of terminal illness so he had time to consider all the yeah. regrets and all his mistakes yeah. and, and that makes sense that you know what i'm gonna build this and um and this film is essentially a modern retelling of, uh, or the book as well, to an extent, is a modern retelling of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Because mm-hmm. what you've got is you've got, um, you know, Halliday is the Willy Wonka type character who is abs- who loves his creation or, or, or loves certain things about, you know, what he's built, uh, but also believes in the purity of it, so doesn't want... Someone like Sorrento getting a hold of it. You know, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you've got all these spoiled, contemptuous children um, who are just horrible people. And they so they, they all come to kind of bad ends throughout the book. Um, and throughout this film, you've got Halliday wants a successor to be worthy of him. So he wants, I guess, to learn from his mistakes. And in the, at the end of it, when... Um, when Wade refuses to sign the contract because that's not what Halliday would have wanted, 
uh, that's the kind of he really passes the test at that point because he proves that he's not in it for the money or the the fame or the glory. He's in it for the purity of the 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 purity of life. I don't know. Uh, the the message unfortunately does get muddled, and I do agree with you to an extent, Isaac, that telling people they should go outside by forcing them to <laughs> learn more about pop culture than anyone should any healthy brain should be exposed to is the wrong way to do it it's kind of you know it's it's like congratulations you're a trillionaire i'm here to tell you not to waste all your time watching films and 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 tv shows and absorbing every little piece of minutia about various you know various media uh but it's like ah but i had to do that to get here yeah this could have taken somebody like 40 years like they could be like in the seven, like end of the 70s and they're going I finally made it for all these things I like, like put a whole life and effort into it uh, the bit is, the, I was going to say the bit at the end where it's oh you didn't sign the contract you're pure of heart or whatever yeah. Sorrento could have still just won he would have just not signed the second time because if has a line of sixes like you know a queue of hundreds of sixes working for him and the first guy gets in signs a dotted line and then dies it's going right don't sign the don't sign the line next time. So it's not a very good sort of safeguard. Although, because I wonder it, if um, I wonder if signing the contract just breaks the contest completely. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, suppose, I think but that's there would not, be some sort of failsafe in yeah, there to go yeah. right. I mean, it doesn't tell you either way. But, yeah. So in terms of the yeah. film, we can like we still have the option of assuming that he hasn't put that failsafe in. Yeah. So like, yeah, why you go? Well, maybe he has put this in, but. In terms of what we get from it, like it seems like yeah, you could just do it again. And not you sign. also you also get the impression at the end, or at least the hint at the end, that his character has not been automated throughout. Oh yeah, it's like yeah, a ghost. No, no, there is no, yeah. there is that sort of. Now you don't get that from the book. That's more something that you're getting from the film. But the idea that that character is not automated, it's not something that he's sort of sitting. You know, it's it's not a program that's going if signs contract then send back to start you know it's yeah. uh it's an actual artificial intelligence at least that's saying or trying to judge the character yeah um although again it's somewhat muddled because they, i mean the life lessons are interesting in themselves and i think mark rylance is excellent in this role i mean mm. he's spielberg's new go-to guy for everything at the moment and um, he he gives this kind of this very sad performance, you know. Throughout, he's kind of someone who's a bit defeated and and a bit aimless, and you know, it's weird because he's the richest man in the world, but he's just, you know, he hasn't got what he really wants out of life. And it, I mean, it sounds like entitled rich guy. It's like whatever, money can buy you happiness. You know, you're like a billion, you're a trillionaire who doesn't even know he's a trillionaire, and but it's that kind of. In order to get there, he lost everything that he could have that could have made him happy. So his best friend lost that. That woman that he went on a date with once lost that. Uh, even lost his company in the end, I suppose, because the the oasis became so much bigger than him, and, and I guess it was corrupted by the people using it. 
but he always he always intended for it to be an open platform. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the bit that you get from the book. As much as you get a little bit of Sorrento sitting standing there showing off a display of how many ads he can put in someone's eye line without inducing seizures. Yeah, without <laughs> inducing seizures, which I thought was a brilliant sort of quote. And when you go on so many websites now and you get all these pop up ads and instant rolling videos, you're like, oh hell yeah! If someone if someone could have complete control of the internet, of course they would be popping adverts in my face every ten seconds. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think he always built it to be an open platform. Maybe a bit of naivety in there on what a big open platform like this would be used for. Yeah, it's used for great creativity, building these amazing worlds that people can explore. But on the same side, like you were saying, of course it's going to be used for virtual reality sex or trying to sell drugs in the real world. You know, you can get that interaction between the real world and the fake world, you know, and... It allows anyone to be whoever they want to be. And that, you know, as we know on the internet, causes problems already. So it replicates exactly what you've got on the internet, but in a virtual reality state. And I think it just it's just an interesting slant on it. I think conceptually it's interesting. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of the Oasis is an interesting one, and especially when you compare it to kind of modern-day outlooks on, on the way that technology is moving. Um but I think the story that was told in this film and in the book, uh, although in this film, just wasn't a good one. And the thing is, there is a an element of fixing the mistakes that the book made. So what you've got is uh, Wade in the book, he's just horrible. The, you know, the bit where Artemis stops speaking to him, he's like, I stood outside her like castle or whatever with a boombox playing her favourite songs, trying to get her to come out and speak to me. And like, that's not okay. She told you to piss off, dude. Piss off. <laughs> and... Um, in the film, there's the bit where he's, you know, where where he, it's the second scene they share together, I think, or third scene, something like that. It's not, they haven't, in the in the context of the film, you you haven't seen them together that often, and they're they're in a dance club and flying around with her, you know, magical, magical flaming dress or whatever it is, and and he's like, I think I'm in love with you. Uh, I don't care if you're like, don't look like this in the real world. I'm totally in love with you, and I. It's so real. It's like, what? This is creepy. And then she tells him to piss off at that point as well. I still think he's a very creepy person. I think he's more creepy in this. Because like, there's a scene where yeah, they, they meet for the first time. Conveniently, everyone lives in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, everyone so it's like lives a bus trip. Five bu- miles away. Yeah, and it's just, like, just happens like the thing. But like, he finally meets her for the first time ever. And then he, like, he sees how much of a disfigured, horrible monster she is. Because she has like a sort of birthmark size bruise on her cheek, but otherwise it's totally fine. And then and he, and he sort of strokes her face and says, "I'm not disappointed with the real thing." <laughs> like if that, if you went like, let's say that you were on a Tinder and you were setting up, yeah, you know, you're having a little online conversation with the, the girl or whatever. And I was like, "Oh yeah, hi, do you want to meet at a bar?" And then you know, you went to the bar with her, and then you just stroked her face like, "I'm not disappointed." She's like, "You'd be arrested immediately." <laughs> like you'd just be beat. Like the bouncer would come in, beat you up, throw you out, and you get arrested. But in this film, it's like, I oh, know, yeah, that that's that you know, creepy old Wade Watts, you know, creepy old Wade Watts. That's his name, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's still a sort of cringy, horrible way of doing stuff, and it, it still kind of works, which is, yeah, it's not pleasant. I think that's partly the issue with shortening the time span of the film down. I mean, because in the book. 
not everyone is staying in Columbus, Ohio. They're all pulled together from different uh, parts of the world, in fact. I don't even think they're just different parts of America. Um, So, you know, they are, you know, it does, it does sort of show that this is a massive virtual world with people all over the place, whereas because they've shortened the time span down to a few days in the film, they've had to go, right, well, everyone is conveniently close and knows how to find each other, Um, you know, which is a, which is a change from it. And because you've got this lack of time, I think, okay, in the book, his uh, romance or infatuation is very quick. In this, they make light of it, almost, with what H says to him. But I think because of that shortened time span, the sort of romance aspect of it seems a bit quick and a bit over the top. It's more of an infatuation, instant infatuation, than it is a romance in this. It doesn't Uh, work in either medium. Yeah, that relationship just doesn't work. And, you know, what you've got is, uh, I said this in my review, that um, that Artemis or whatever her name is, whatever her real name is, uh, Samantha. Samantha, yes. Um, Samantha Cook, played by Olivia Cook. That's hilarious. But uh, at least she didn't have to learn a new second name. She only had to learn half a name. Art- Artemis or Samantha is characterised as nothing more than like she's she's essentially the Easter egg. You know, she's this trophy that Wade can win. Like, there's nothing to her. I mean, I do appreciate that they um, they kind of took away his breaking into um, IOI and hacking into their system and taking it down from the inside. The giving it to her was fine. But again, she became the kind of damsel in distress character. And very, she has very much that, that trophy that Wade wins at the end. You know, there's no... There's no chemistry there. Their relationship has no reason to exist. And I said in my review, she's the manic pixie dream girl because that's all she is. Uh, there's nothing more to her than that. And Wade is just a bland cipher that, you know, there's no personality to the guy at all other than I like pop culture stuff. So, like, there's nothing to invest in there. Not for me, anyway. I just don't like either of them. I think it's because it's 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 played too quick and... It does come over as that stereotypical, well, you need a damsel in distress, you need a romance story going through here, and they've done it. But I think because of time, it just makes it seem far too quick. And I, I get that element in the book as well. I do agree with you to an extent. Um, but yeah, I think that's mainly the reason that they've done it, is there needs to be some sort of romance thing in there. We have all seen films, though, that have romances that take place over a certain... You know, even just uh, better, like, love interest type scenarios in blockbuster films. And there's just no attempt to, to make it in any way believable. And it's just... I know, think it would it would have been easier had they went that he already knew her at that point. Or he had already met her a few times at that point or something. But having that as the first meeting at the end of the, the race... Um, I think kind of made it a bit more thing. It was more him meeting a celebrity that he liked than anything else. Yeah. And just, I or just cut the romance entirely. I mean, it, there's no place there anyway. It doesn't add or... It doesn't add anything. I was going to say it doesn't add or subtract anything, but I think it subtracts with its pointlessness. So get rid of it. Like you, you It know, could have been rescuing a friend rather than rescuing a love yeah, interest. Just, just make it friendship. Like That's fine. And and even, and even then you can cut out the I think I'm in love with you crap uh, because it doesn't... Nothing happens from then on anyway because she rescues him a couple of scenes later. 
So, I, yeah. I became, I sort of got convinced sort of midway through the film that they were taking like a massive leap, you know, having a, having a bit of fun with a story and that Artemis would turn out to be Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> I mean, there was a bit where like H says like, oh, don't trust anyone on the internet. I thought oh, this would be fun if they just like Artemis is an, like a sick, like the, you know, the, the head of the sixes, but disguise like, you know, it's not played. It's just played as a normal player character, because you know, like I know they say, like in the film, yeah, the guy is not interested in the game or whatever. But they could have done it. I thought they not they doing it so that he's the bad. Like, is 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 she just the baddie? And like, I thought, like, yeah. So I thought they were going like a more fun path with it. I think there's a few points where like I thought that Steven Spielberg would have more fun with the the story and liven it up a bit. And, because like, you know it's got a bit of a toxic background this, the book anyway now and I thought it was gonna you know you like oh let's you know let's you know mix it up and you know try some try some new elements so that you know the people who've read the book don't know what's going on and think you don't know what's going on and have a bit of you know try to subtract some of the negativity that the book's received it, it doesn't really I, like do you think Steven Spielberg was the right choice for this film like, it doesn't really have any of his, like, what he's famous for. It's not, like, it's not tense or particularly well-lit. There's not any of his normal, like, Steven Spielberg charm. Do you think, it, like, did, was he interested? Like, do we know if he liked the if he liked the book or anything? He, he doesn't seem to be... I think, I think if he didn't like it, he wouldn't have been involved, to be honest. I yeah. think having someone like Steven Spielberg as well acts as a massive uh, gateway to a lot of the intellectual property that they want to use as well. <laughs> Not that that's necessarily why they dragged him in. But he's done fun films before. He's done this style of thing before I know not necessarily with uh, as much CG and all that sort of stuff but he's done you know easter egg hunts before I think there was a little bit of Spielbergian magic to it a little bit but not enough I don't know it just gets lost in a whole mess of stuff Um, I think it's one of those things where I mean Spielberg's probably directing something where he doesn't understand what half the references are uh, because a lot of them are, are, are well sort of left field so I mean it's something that something that I have a problem with in this story anyway is the the references are ultimately meaningless because you chuck the iron giant in right it's just a giant robot shooting at stuff and it's like oh look it's the iron giant and then they throw in Chucky and they tell you that it's Chucky and so on it, almost every reference they mention well not almost everyone I mean the if you were to pause every scene of this film, you would see so much, so much crap. You know, you'd just, well, look, there's that thing, there's that thing, there's that thing. But, the- but is that, does that not make it fun, though, seeing all these different bits and pieces in the background, that on a rewatch, you know, when you get, when you, if you get it on DVD or whatever, and you end up sitting there at home, that you will catch bits it that you didn't it- see the first time around. Okay, fine, they've signposted bits and they've thrown Chucky yeah. in there and they've done other bits. However, I think seeing these little bits and pieces in the background are quite a treat, especially if you catch one sort of unawares. It's it's a purely visual cameo. It's fun. But only on that level, because the reference means nothing. Also, because there's so many, like, different references thrown on the screen at once, it's almost like, 
I don't I don't recognize any of them. Like unless there was the ones that you're told like, oh, there's King Kong, there's Mechagodzilla. Like, there was none where I was like, oh, that's I know him or like they're all it's just it's just stuff like so it was like I, like I didn't recognize unless it was really obviously on the screen. There's like at least like, Harley Quinn or something. They don't mention her name. It's like oh yeah, because she's in the center of the start. Or there's like the the Halo guys running in front. But like in the background stuff, like I was in a few reviews where people were like, oh yeah, and then I saw. I don't know, something from this 80s movie, The Goonies or something, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, I like, got a treat out of that. But I think for most, like, for everyone, like, watching it, there's too much, there's too much going on screen, so even if it's a reference that you know or like, or, like, you can't catch it. But if it had only been, if it had only been, like, a couple of scatterings of bits, then I think the opposite complaint would have been levelled at it, going, well, they didn't really get it much, did they? I mean, you've had all sorts of bits in there. You had um, you had uh, Serenity from Firefly was one of the ships. I think Chappie was in the back of one scene. Uh, I think you had Lara Croft. You had a ton of... It was more video game references, I think, than a lot of movie references, to be honest. Yeah, and you had uh, Jason Voorhees and uh, Michael Myers yeah. and, and Freddy Krueger and stuff. But the thing is, in the context of this film, it is just literally a moving picture of something. It doesn't mean anything. So, like, the, I find that the best Easter eggs are ones that are quite meaningful. You know, the the reason I enjoy something like Legends of Tomorrow is they can chuck in, they'll, they'll chuck in a reference to something and I'll sit there and I'll get it because it makes sense in the context of the story. And these make sense in the context of the story because you have this digital playground where you can create anything. But mm-hmm. there is just so much sensory input that you're, you know, it is almost, it is challenging you to buy this on Blu-ray and pause it and look for everything that you can find, but um, and I remember early bits of the trailers. There's like you could if you pause it and you scan a QR code, then it will take you to the website for the film or something like that. And it's you know these little little bits of meta narrative and stuff. But it's just like it is essentially just CGI artists at whatever effects company did this film sitting there just chucking stuff in because they can, you know. But the the references mean nothing. Even the Iron Giant was the most prominent one, and the thing is, the Iron Giant is a weapon in in its own film that's not that doesn't want to fight. So you have the Iron Giant fighting, and you've already betrayed what that thing is supposed to be. But, but that's is, but that's summing up exactly what you get on the internet, though. Yeah. I mean, how many games have got mods out there that throw random character generation, or even I, I don't even know if the servers are still active, but Second Life where people can go in and create whatever avatar they want from whatever film, TV show, customise their own thing that they want. I mean, it's summing up exactly that. Now, you're saying, okay, it doesn't, you know, not everyone has got a narrative reason to be there, but that's the nature of the world. Not all the people in the world have a narrative reason for being, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's that, that's exactly what you've got. You will have characters in the background that mean nothing. Just the difference here is, okay, a lot of the random scattered characters in the background look like the Martian Manhunter or whatever. It, it's, it's, that's exactly why they're there. Now, I get what you're saying about it being a clutter of different references and you're not going to be able to ever go through a list and tick off every, every reference, but I don't think that was ever their intention. It was simply to show the scale of this world and the noise and excitement of this world. And that's why people are engaged and inside it. Because why would you want to be out here in plain old boring Earth 
when you can go in there and you're standing next to Batman or Lara Croft or flying in Serenity. Why, you know, that's the reason that people are going into this world. I think what would have been... I mean, there's more clever ways of doing this. For instance, they could have framed the final battle to be they use their, you know, whatever the resources they've got, whatever meta resources they've got, they use them in different ways. So, I don't know. Uh, you get the... They, they plan a stealth attack with the Ninja Turtles. I only say that because you see the Ninja Turtles. And by the way, they're the hulking, horrible modern versions. So, what? Why you, Why not hmm. the... You know, why not the, the original um, retro... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that, you know, would have been on when I was a child, which is kind of the era, of the, or just before that, that they're targeting, you know, for, for a majority of this. So you could have used the references more cleverly, or at some point, a character comes to a realisation, it's like, look at this battle, it's got everything from every pop culture thing you could ever imagine. And then someone turns around and it's like, yeah, it's kind of crap, isn't it? Like, what is this? You know, it's it's like, if have you seen the South Park episodes Imagination Land? No. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I know you have Isaac. Yeah. But, uh, Imagination Land does something very similar to this. It chucks in as many pop culture references as you want, and they don't care about copyright. So they, you know, they make them like crude and rubbish looking just to, um, just to get them all in. But they use them really effectively. You know, you've got a. Uh, Jason Voorhees is a bit scared, you know, because that's the last thing you'd expect from him, and that's funny, you know, and uh, all sorts of stuff. You know, you've got these, you've got these characters that are known one way in pop culture, and they use a, you, they use them for a particular joke that either confirms expectations or subverts expectations. But here they do nothing. It's just, you know, it's the equivalent of me just holding up pictures of stuff. Um, I would have liked to have seen more tie-ins. A bit like you do where, okay, he's got a DeLorean because he likes a DeLorean and he drives and he uses it. And like you say, okay, you've got the Ninja Turtles, so do some sort of uh, water attack or do something that that builds in better use of some of the property that they had. But I have the feeling that a lot of the thing is, okay, you can have rights, but you can only have them on screen for X amount of time. You know, you can't have them for longer than this or longer than that. You can't use them for this. You can't use them for that. And they'll have been walking a tightrope with a lot of these things. And I In have the case, feeling that ones you've got. You know, beef up. The that, ones that's you true. Have. I, I, you know, it's a fair comment. Beef up the ones you've got, but also there's the time aspect as well. Once you get to a certain point in this, you're going right. We've got to finish this final fight. And we need it to be just a big battle because we've not got any time to do, okay, let's try quiet, submissive attack, and then they put their shield up would have been the option there. And at that point, you need to call in your big army. But having a really neat attack where you're calling on Batman to help you out or trying to get your team of stormtroopers to storm the barricades at first and them all being useless or something, you know, it, would all, it all would work in. I, I do get that, and there's elements of that I would have loved to see, but I have the feeling that time's at play here, so they made the best with what they had, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the end battle is its own separate problem, because, again, it was just so much stuff that... Um, mass army battles are a big problem in... Uh, in well, it's, it's kind of went away in the last few years, but after Lord of the Rings, they were just chucking in, you know massive army battles and it bloody everything uh you know you, you you were watching oz the great and the powerful and there was an army battle in it for some reason uh, snow white and the huntsman army battle robin hood with russell crowe he leads an army like 
it's Robin Hood. Why is he leading an army? But <laughs> it's um, so you had a lot of these, and a lot of them had the same problem. Where Lord of the Rings, they did it well because what they did was they let you zoom into different parts of the battle and understand how it's going. The other ones, they just showed you like CGI things hurling swords at each other, you know, various points, and there was no investment in it. And this was the equivalent of that, where it's just digital stuff fighting other digital stuff, and there are but no that's stakes ex- at But that that's point. exactly what it is, though. It's digital stuff throwing digital stuff in a virtual world. It kind of is doing exactly what it's supposed to. It is fake digital stuff throwing fake digital stuff in a fake digital world to gain control of a real-world thing. The stakes, I, I get what you're saying about the stakes and everything, but isn't that exactly what it's supposed to look like? You know, they, they, they didn't overly tart up the, the, the fake world in this. They didn't make it look far too glossy to be close to real. They've purposefully made it a little bit flat in some places. You're getting to the climax of the film at this point, though, and you're just at this point where, you know, at this point, at that point, there needs to be some level of investment. There needs to be some real stakes, and they just aren't. But there. that's but that's where my issue with them not showing the real world stakes comes in, and I, I, I completely agree with you with that. I'm, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning that you don't really get the sum total of what what is at stake. The fact that you can buy stuff in the real world is sort of hinted at, but none of the aspect that you get in the book that a massive chunk of the world's commerce is all run in this virtual world. Kids are going to their virtual school, people are going to their virtual job, rather than being out in a real world job. And you don't quite get the message that someone having control over this would be a really bad thing, apart from the fact that don't we all hate pop-up ads on the internet that sort of get sent over. Yeah. You know, let's make different tier levels where people can only access certain stuff. And, and you know, that sort of duplicates a lot of what people get annoyed about net neutrality and everything. It does duplicate some of that, but you don't really get the message of what the real world stakes are. So, like yeah. you're saying, when they're sort of getting control of this thing, you're like, oh, great, they got control of the VR world. What about the real world on the other side? What What's all happening there? And you do get the quick summary at the end of how the centres had to be shut down because they made it illegal to run the centres on the Oasis. Yeah. Although I will I will talk about a sequence I did like. Uh, unless, Isaac, you have any input into the final battle that we didn't. Oh, that's the point where I'd take my glasses off, so I didn't, I didn't really see that bit. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. Uh, one sequence I did like was the the shining sequence because that is one of the genuinely clever moments mm. in the in the actual film. You know, I like the clue that's a creator that hates its own creation. So Stephen King is famous for not liking the the Shining movie, and he made his own version, which is, if you ever see it, is dreadful, totally dreadful. And it's um it's also a bit of a meta commentary on the the Ready Player One film itself because uh, Stanley Kubrick picked up the Shining and had to change so much of it to make it or to turn it into what he thought would be a watchable film, which is exactly what, in theory, Spielberg's done with Ready Player One. He's picked up a book that some people have called unfilmable, um, arguably maybe shouldn't have been filmed, but uh, a book that a lot of people called unfilmable, and he's filmed it, in or- but in order to do that, he's changed a lot about it. So you've got a little, you've got a really nice piece of meta joke, or uh, meta commentary in there on filmmaking in general and the, the genesis of this particular film and 
it is a very entertaining sequence as well. They, they lovingly recreated some of the the imagery from the Shining movie, apart from a zombie lady for some reason. Um, you know, the river of blood in the in the hallway, great image, uh, and and all that. It was a really, really good sequence. Again, the characters were involved in it, and I didn't really care about them, but but still, I enjoyed seeing that sequence. But H in that was just so much fun doing sort of everything wrong not understanding where to go just being I, I just thought that was a really fun sequence like you say that was doing something smart with some property that they'd managed to get a hold of but the whole Overlook sequence was brilliant I thought yeah and then you see the Sixers are just screwing it up as well They're <laughs> terrified that's it it was a good it was a good moment and it does give you a bit of a nod to the bit in the the bits in the book where it's like and we had to act out the entirety of Ferris Bueller's Day Off or whatever it is. It's like no one wants to see that. But the the way they were gonna throw you inside the world of this film and you have to navigate it, that's much better use of that. Uh, yeah, it doesn't save the film for me, but no, no, I suppose, no. I suppose it's more it's one of the more competent bits. But I still in, sort in of isolation it's good enough, like it's good for what it is. Yeah, I suppose yeah it's it's the it's the most sort of yeah concise and sort of well done bit. Yeah, and the the idea of regret and stuff um, that that's where it first starts to creep in. Where uh, they they learn that that Halliday was had regretted not 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 playing his first date differently, uh, and you get a bit of that. Um, yes, it's a good sequence. I don't think it ultimately enriches the film in, in, in itself because it doesn't really develop the characters. It doesn't really well expand. It does expand the world, but it's just it results in here's another clue. Off you go, and I don't know. Um, at, at that point, I wasn't really invested in the characters succeeding, and then the fact that it was Artemis that gets the second clue first because she figures it out. I don't understand what led her to that that thing. I've got the same problem with the scenes of the development of the game. Like where Sam you know, young Simon Pegg and young Mark Rylance. And they or, were really, like they were from Modern Simon Pegg, you mean. Pardon? <laughs> modern Simon Pegg. It's just what he looks like now. <laughs> oh yeah, just yeah, but I mean like yeah, young young Oz is he Oz, Og, isn't it? Og, Og, yeah, so yeah. young Og and young uh Holiday, like they were more entertaining. Like I want to see more of the, like more of the, like, you know, the sort of two friends who are, you know, easily enthusiastic about stuff, just building a big world that you know they want to see. Which is like I like those bit, like yeah, the bits in the where he goes back in the, the library and watches the old memories. It's like I'd rather see this this film than the actual film. I did think those scenes were were really interesting. I kind of agree with you in a way. It would almost be a... uh, I always sort of say these things. It always would be interesting to have a sort of little prequel of what they did and how it went. And I I don't know. It it might be interesting. But I do think it was one of the the best laid out stories through the film. I do think those characters got better development or at least you found out more about them than you did any of your, you know, the main protagonists. 
Yeah, that, that's kind of where your Spielberg comes in. You know, his skill as a, a director of... I mean, all he, all he does for those scenes is sits two people in a room and lets them talk. And a lot of the, the scenes I remember most from his, from, from some of his films are are that. You know, Jaws... Uh, Jaws isn't interesting because of the shark. In fact, there's, there's very little shark in it, famously. You know, it's... Um, it's interesting because that that town has its own internal set of politics that are that are fascinating in themselves. There's a lot of personalities there. Jurassic Park has a really long scene where they're where they're eating dinner and discussing the implications of bringing dinosaurs back to life, and that in itself is just brilliantly interesting because it gives you a flavour of the characters, it gives you everything that you want to know about those people and how they reacted to what they've just seen, and that and that's the same here. You know, you get a sense of who Ogden is, you get a sense of who Halliday is. Uh, and you even get a bit of a sense of where Sorrento came from. You know, the T-boy. Uh, yeah, but nothing ever happens with that, does it? It's like, no, nothing oh, it so. turns out he was an intern, yeah. and then that never... They never mention it again, or it never plays in. It's just like, people... Ass- I think it's like, people assume that he had some knowledge, but he didn't. And that's all that... And then, But in terms of the story, he had no personal falling out with Halliday, or he had nothing... You're just sort of like, yeah, he was there. And they carry on like they didn't say that. It's very no, weird. No po- at no point does it feel personal for him. And you think, because when, when you see him saying, I think you should have the, the gold plan and the water plan because it's the Oasis. And, you know, I think um, what they should have done was played up that resentment later in the film. Um, instead, you had him, like, listening to people feeding him pop culture nonsense in his ear. Yeah, but that was one of the bits... Where, yeah, my like the dislike of the sort of, oh, you're not a true fan because you, you know you don't know the director of um, whatever film it was. It's like people say like, oh yeah, you, you drink this specific drink and you you listen to a specific album, or whatever. It's like you, you can just, it's not, it's like it's not a, it's not a villainous quality to, you know, not know this. It's like yeah, he's a businessman. He's like. Oh, how can he be a businessman? He doesn't even know who directed this Obscurities movie. It's like, yeah. Like, a lot of people in the Oasis... I imagine, like, yeah, these are, like... Like, most of the people using it don't know, like... Like, I don't know how it is. Like, it's just a... Yeah, it's like, it's just a, it's just a thing. Like, you don't know... I have no idea about the life of Steve Jobs. But we know, we know, we, we know he's got... We've got his gadgets. But, like, I don't know... Don't, don't know. Like if he had a yeah. wife or anything, or what he did at school, or what he watches, because in the real world, like it doesn't, the the creator doesn't really matter that much. Like no one's as obsessed about the lives of people. But well, like, I there's think, a bit where there's like the school and like kids are crying at the announcement of James Holloway's death. <laughs> it's like I was like, no, this doesn't. It's super. It's super. No, none of it's like this. He's just. He's just a guy. He's just a programmer guy. Like and he was yeah, and he was obsessed with pop culture and stuff, but that doesn't mean that everyone else in the film has to be. Yeah, the Jobs connection is is quite an interesting one because Jobs did have that notoriety when he was alive. You know, people would tune in to the Apple conferences on live streaming, and and they would you know it, it was widely acknowledged that he's a prat, but like, but people liked him. People liked to listen to him and wanted to see what he had to say and wanted to see what. He'd he would do next so I do get that whole you know idolising the tech genius type aspect and you you get a flavour of how other people experience the Oasis throughout as well there's just you know there's just people that are just cutting about doing stuff 
you don't you don't see their lives or see what they're up to, but they are there, and they do. Uh, I guess that most people are just not bought, not spending their life looking for this Easter egg stuff. They're just enjoying the Oasis the, the way that they want to. And I think there was enough of that in the film. Because like, even at the end, where it's like, oh yeah, everyone joins in the battle. It's like, and it's like millions and millions and millions and millions of people. But you never really get any... There's no bits where it's just like, like yeah, this is just... Like, everyone who's into the Oasis is into it like 100 million percent. They devote their lives to it. And there's no one else in the film who just... You know, they just they just go on occasionally. It's just like uh, Xbox or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, there's too much. And then, like, for... Yeah, it, an audience is going to watch like this and they're not as in tuned into, like, you know, the, you know, like Star Wars or whatever. But they're not... You know, they're not on Reddit or anything. Or, and they just go... It's like sort of the Big Bang Theory audience. It's like... It's not really for people who like pop culture stuff. It's just what people assume people who like pop culture stuff are like. Like, yeah. I bet they're all like, yeah, screaming at each other, saying, "Oh, you're not a true gunner because your dad didn't die in a loyalty box in some something." <laughs> I mean, that'd be that'd be a far more fun episode where Sheldon screams at uh, the glasses guy. It's like you're not a real, <laughs> you're not a real scientist. You didn't have to do your dissertation in a well or something, but. Yeah, like, well, just something yeah, like saying the, that people aren't real scientists, but yeah, not for that reason. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of it's a it's like the Big Bang Theory sort of same mentality. It's like we assume they're all like this, so we'll just portray them all as yeah, we'll just portray them all in this one manner. But they're not really showing that they're all like that. They're showing that there's a dedicated set of people that really, really, really want to get to this, and that's what they are like. I mean, there are obsessives about every celebrity, every film, every genre out there on the internet. And all they've done with the Oasis is they've duplicated that. And they've went, okay, there's going to be people that are really, really into this particular thing. And they're going to be a bit douchey about it because who who among us has not had an argument with someone on the internet about something? I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, Craig, you know, you post reviews of different TV shows and you have people that disagree with your opinions or what you say on the internet. And it's, I Violently have arguments with the same people at the same time. Yeah, so it's basically duplicating exactly what you see on the internet. That's that's what they've built in this universe. They've went, all right, there's a, there's a virtual world and in there, there will be these people from the internet who are virtually obsessed with stuff. Um, I, I don't... I don't see that scene where he's sort of getting fed information in his ear being I'm sort of sneering at the fact that you're not a true fan. It's more the fact that he knows he's not a fan. He's just wanting control of this product. It's not that he's sort of looking down on him because he doesn't know what Halliday's favourite macaroni cheese blend is. <laughs> it's that he's looking down on him because of what he's trying to do if he, he wins and if he takes over. Yeah, but it's these they the hero like the heroes of the film are these these sort of douches. in real life internet douches, yeah. And the villain of the film is the only the only the only speaking character in it who is like just a normal a normal person. The film wants you to look down on um on, on Serenity's lack of knowledge. 
it, it wants it to be literally like, doesn't even know what's what this is. It's like if you chucked half of that stuff at me, I wouldn't know it. And I'm like, I can be into this stuff. I mean, I don't like Rush. I think they're horrible. I think their their music's terrible. But the I think that's like Halliday's favorite band for whatever reason. And it's it's stuff like that. And like personally, I find the whole notion of archiving everything you ever watched and when you watched it to be somewhat on the obsessive side. I think that's a bit much. Yeah. I don't know when I saw stuff for the first time, you know, all the way back to my childhood. Yeah, and it's fine no to idea. be, like, it's fine to be a, a, a big devoted fan of something. But, like, yeah, no one, like, realistically, like, I know, like, Craig, you're a big Star Trek geek. But, like, I couldn't say, hey, you know, episode 70, who directed that? And like, you wouldn't know. <laughs> but it's like all these characters, like, oh, obviously, yeah, it was, it, was, it was James Martin or something. Or, like, like, there's levels of, yeah, it's, you know, people know they have a favourite episode of a thing, or they know, like, some quirky trivia, like, oh, yeah, the, I don't know, the, oh, yeah, the Stormtrooper in Star Wars who bangs his head or something. But then, but then you've got, like, no one is, like, it's either, it's either, yeah, they've eaten all these expanded universe books, and, like, yeah, imagine if I was a real-life person, though, like, I'm sure they are, like, they exist, but they're, they're not. They're shown as the heroes. They're shown as like the the standard Gunter is this who spent sixty hours a day watching everything this other person has lived. It's just so I don't know. It's just a horrible sort of the horrible group of people. It's a weird way of showing you know because I yeah I, I I like comics and I like Doctor Who and all, you know I, I I don't like the Avengers. But I like other I like, I like some of the one Marvel Spoilers films that I like. Future, future Spoilers for future podcasts. <laughs> but yeah, like if you know your casual audience are going in, like oh, it's not yes, it's another Big Bang theory where they can just say, oh yeah, look how sad and pathetic these people's lives are. There is an element of that for sure. Uh, the one part that always stands out to me when I think about it is the bit where you know towards the beginning of the film, Artemis is essentially trolling Parzival for for not knowing something. Or assumes that um, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know something. And then when it comes to that whole going on a date with uh, Og's, what, or the woman that would end up being Og's wife, she knows nothing about it. She's like, I've never, you know, I've never experienced this particular video before. So everyone is, everyone's so full of crap in this film. Everyone. Um, it's replicating exactly what exists on the internet. I think your issue is the fact that the protagonists are those kinds of people. I don't have an issue with it. It doesn't take me out of the film. It doesn't break the characters for me at all. They are realistic characters because we've already discussed the fact that that exists. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit confused as to why you're unhappy with it, but, you know opinions are opinions and we will move along yeah the only um, the only character I actually thought was I'm not going to say engaging but essentially a, a bit more engaging than others was H because she is the one who's kind of speaks common sense occasionally uh, she's the one who's like I've, I've not seen The Shining I don't like scary movies and um, although I mean she is kind of in on the whole holiday easter egg hunt stuff but I get the impression that she's not as heavily into it as other people are, so you do get some reasonable advice from her, like, don't go and trust in some random girl you've met on the internet. You know, that's, that's good advice. 
And ultimately, it proves to be the wrong advice because of the setup of the film. But um, people should listen to H more, I think. What did you think of the method of hiding the fact that H was a woman? Like they just sort of gave her a weird, like, like they moved her, you know, thing an octave down. It sounded really inhuman. Do you think that fooled anyone? I mean, there was people in the cinema next to me who were like gasping, like, "Ah!" Oh. I was like, "Really?" Like, I guess do you if you like, n- if you went in not knowing, and there was a guy who was like, "Oh, hi, possible." Like, do you think you'd notice? I, th- I think it's um, I mean, it's just a heavily distorted voice. I suppose it could be male or female. Um, yeah, I, I knew the twist with her, so I don't know. Like, I don't know how I would have reacted had I not known the twist. I think it. Um, I think the reveal of it is very understated, as it kind of should be. And was H a, a, a was a, a kind of robot cyborg orc thing in the book, or I can't remember. Was, was or was she just a male avatar? I also uh, can't remember. I'd have to like, yeah, I'd have to root through and read that bit again. Cause I, can't, I can't remember what any of like any of their digital counterparts look like. I don't know if you remember, like even Parzival or Artemis. Or I think I think the Parzival description is reasonably bang on, and maybe the Artemis one is. I don't know, with her Disney anime eyes. Could be, I can't remember. Um, Chris, can you remember if Thingy was a robot orc cyborg thing? I don't think they were a robot org or orc cyborg thing. I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest. Yeah, okay. Uh, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, never but, mind. Yeah, but the I guess the way they covered it up, I don't know um, if they felt that doing a male avatar, you know, if it was just that she looked like uh, Parzival, you know, in the, in the terms of the, the white male average build kind of thing, uh, would have been too insensitive when they did the reveal, so it's easy enough to give her just a generic monstrous body thing and just be like yeah this is what I choose to do online and um, and I also quite like the idea that uh, at least Parzival's or, or Wade is consistent with his not caring about what people really are in the real world because when he uh, learns about Helen he's not phased by it at all um, it's something that yeah it's, it's something you don't need to discuss because it's like yeah this is how you chose to present yourself online uh, I still don't feel like, you know. I still feel like I know you. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, but I think a bit more focus on H would have would have been a bit better because a bit more common sense thrown in would have been nice. To that point, to be honest, I would have rather the H had ended up. You know, since they were sort of changing the way the outcomes I would have rather that H had been captured and taken to the centre instead because I think it would have felt like more of a connection uh, for him to be trying to rescue H rather than uh, Artemis This article says that the book the, I even I forgot this in the book but the um, the uh, H was or Helen was gay in in the uh, book and they forgot mm-hmm. to yeah they didn't do that Um yeah, the the reveal is kind of subdued, which I don't know. Maybe it should have been a bigger deal than it was, or whatever. But I don't know. Shall we talk about how everyone in the film's a dumb idiot? Because <laughs> that's like that props up a lot. 
Like oh, whether wow. or not you was it <laughs> Artemis finally escapes the you know the IOI center, but just running around with like you know no disguise at all and right in front of the doors and then they go into H's van and it's like a really you know it's a you know graffiti mark post office van and then was like oh check this like we need to chase this van or whatever and they de- and they never switch and there's like a like they just they just sort of carry on drifting around everywhere and, and yeah a lot there's a lot of points where it's just sort of like there's no sense there's no there's no trying to be evasive or no secrecy. Everyone's just like not really thinking about any of the actions. Anyone else think the same? Everyone sort of all the characters seem kind of dumb. I think um, yeah. I think the threat value is diminished when Artemis or whatever her name is is running about, just plugging herself into random uh, pods, just you know, and no one really notices. Uh, you know, even when they identify that there's some kind of spy in their own system, uh, that's—I mean—that's typical. That's typical villain idiocy, though. Like, there's nothing especially. You I know, mean, even no, for the no main characters, like that's—that's that's dumb. Like, yeah, none of them think to be I mean, slightly more secretive. How, how about uh, how about Sorrento writing his not that difficult to remember password oh, on a boss piece of paper? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there's there's a lot of your your villains are very smart until they need to be stupid in order to be defeated. That that's a a trait that I've talked about on I don't know how many podcasts. <laughs> that you know you need you need them to be absolutely undefeatable until they fall over on a banana skin. You know, we're talking about you, Thanos. You're coming up soon to your banana skin, <laughs> but. It's like, you know, the the villains are incredibly smart, incredibly well-planned and plotted and schemed, and they've got a focus group of people to work on it, and they've got these security guards walking about, and they're willing to do whatever it takes. But then someone manages to, like you say, sort of sneak around the edges, plug into whatever the hell, be standing in the boss's office. Uh, there's no CCTV or cameras in there, obviously, so they're just able to roam about, have a look at whatever the hell they want, you know. It's it, yeah, it's it becomes a bit silly, but that's another bit that they've taken from the book where there was a bit of plotting and scheming involved in uh, Wade getting into IOI in the first place, and he makes all these plans of when he's going to get stuff delivered, and I, th- there is a bit of planning that goes into that. Whereas this has to make it more like, oh, by chance. I've managed to get out and we've managed to get his password to release you and now you can get into this room and then you can plug in and you can jump about. The bit that confused me is how she managed to have all her characters' stuff because I always thought they were given like blank slate characters to work on when they worked on IOI, but I can't, I can't remember. I don't think she had any of the stuff, although she did have the visual characteristics. Because mm. I yeah. thought normally they were like thought, defaulted back yeah. to uh, boring mode otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I remember there's a point where they... They recreate. Is it? They it turns out they've recreated his office in the Oasis, and he's like still plugged it. And it's like we need mm. to get into his office, and the next and thing it's they're like just walk realistic. In. <laughs> yeah, I just assume that the, the they're just not bothered. Like they just walked in. It's like, yeah, I guess. I mean, this is sort of the film we'll get in. Maybe <laughs> like this. Yeah. And there's a bit where, you know, there's the. Uh, Mendelssohn's sort of team of researchers and there's that one woman who's like stroking her chin more and more obviously like something's up something's going wrong and like yeah we like it's not like we're not we're not idiots I mean yeah we get it like there's 
it seems they're trying to be like they're not really thinking oh yeah give us some credit we can work out that like we are able to sort of follow a story then there's bits where it's like yeah, we, get, we know yeah she's got an idea stop just making it slightly more obvious that she's going to say something in a minute just it's like it's not you know it's a, like, yeah it's a kids film but give them some credit like they can they can remember a character's face you don't need three different times where she's like oh something something about this bit oh, I can't remember Sega Mega Drive there was something about it and again like the camera's zooming in a bit more and more it's like she's got an idea it's like just just get on with it it's like the bit where he's putting the key in the lock as well where he's like oh I can't get the key in the lock just get just do it like I'm, I'm bored I want to go home just do it like <laughs> but that's a bit of fun time. But that's fun. It's like it, everyone's watching at home going, it looks so easy, just put the key in. What they don't know is he's trundling about in the back of a van. That's a bit of fun, isn't it? No, cover that. I know. Well, you I should have just... walked out then. Walk out. Don't sit there hating it. Walk out if it was zero at that point. You, you, you can't have it. No, but then I'd have... watch the whole film. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. but okay, at, the same, at the same time, if you're getting to the end... And you're watching the sort of whole climax, and all you're wanting, thinking about yeah, is what you're like, having for wanna, your dinner. Yeah. I've got to say, at that point, you should feel free to leave. <laughs> yeah, I should have, like, yeah. Maybe I, I, I know, I know. It's, it's maybe one of these things where you think the final, final, final scene is going to suddenly win you over, and the entire film's going to be great. But if you've got to that point, and you're thinking, okay, I just, I just want him to turn the key and, and for the credits to roll, please. Yeah, yeah, and then, then go. Do, I remember do you know what was internet douches saying you never saw the film you can't yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, you can't have an opinion you walked out uh, yeah, yeah I remember was it I was halfway down the hall in the cinema world and I got a text on Craig like oh I think there's a end credit scene I was like I'd already as soon as it was like credits I was like oh gone Boof. there isn't one like, by I'm and, going and, home and, and uh, remember internet douches feel free to comment below on our show notes <laughs> yeah say start your message with greetings <laughs> glad tidings from i the internet douche and then feel free to comment below that yeah go. as long as you introduce yourself politely first then be feel free to be venomous. an internet yeah, douche be yeah. as venomous as you want yes yeah go go for it craig craig doesn't use the ban hammer often enough <laughs> yeah well i don't get enough comments to use the ban hammer at all but you know well uh the thing is, while I didn't find the climax to be that exciting, you know, the whole there's a van driving about being chased by drones and there's that weird finale, is that her name? Yeah, um, you know, the the muscle, the the stooge, the the fixer, the, the one who gets things done, uh, who kind of gets chucked at the back of a van and is never seen again. Um, I wasn't that, I was I, like with anything else, I wasn't hugely invested in it, however... I do like the fact that there was some attempt to marry up the real world with the digital world and, and show how one affects the other at that point. Because it makes for a more dynamic and exciting climax where something can, you know, where, where the mm. failure is an option. Whereas in the book, you've got Og shows up and says, come to my mansion with private security and great rigs that you can all hook up into and you won't be in any danger whatsoever. And then so if they'd went with that, you would have that thing I was talking about in the climax, you know, the, the big uh, mass army battle it is utterly meaningless because everyone's safe. But that's how they kind of get round it is by introducing real world stakes for Artemis and, you know, them driving about in the van. There is there is a bit of a real world stake going on, whether they are aware of it as much at that point or not. 
Yeah, it, it's unfortunate that stakes are subdued to, you know, someone rear-ending a van, which is, you know, it seems like they'll be all right. I never, I never felt the danger, that was the problem. I, I, oh, I didn't feel the danger because I've read the book. I don't, I don't know if someone who hasn't read the book would have felt it more. That's the, the problem we've got is because the three of us have read the book, we can't go to sort of the impartial uh, fourth person who can say, well, I didn't read the book and I thought it added something to it or not. Yeah, but even at I knew that, they had di- know- I knew they had diverted from it somewhat, but I knew yeah. they weren't going to suddenly sort of switch around the whole ending. Yeah, but when you, I don't know. Um, when you even when you know that characters are safe, sometimes the, the tension can be created properly. And the thing is, um, in this adaptation, you don't necessarily expect everybody to survive because, um, because you know the, they've changed, they've diverted so heavily from the book at this point. I only knew that nobody would die because children don't die in Spielberg movies. Doesn't happen. So uh, that was, um, that was something. But like. I don't know. There was an attempt to create some kind of tense atmosphere, but oh, the, the you know you can't get the key in the lock, and time is running out before they get run off the road or whatever. But the the urgency is lost somewhere, uh, and it's weird that's coming from Spielberg, who's so good at creating tension, and he just, it, somehow he doesn't here. I guess it's because it keeps cutting into the uninteresting di- at that point digital world, I suppose. Oh, one character that that I couldn't stand, I Rock. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a fan. What was that? What was I? What was I? The, the big, oh, was he the, the guy with the like skull, skull chest guy? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he was. He was no worse than any of the other characters. I, I think he was like he was. a comic relief character. Yeah, I'd say he was because it was just I don't know. If you if you wanted internet douche, that was internet douche in the whole thing, really. Yeah, and it's funny with T.J. Miller now, based on recent news. Uh, I don't know, it's dodgy Maybe he thought he was still in the Oasis That's why he called him the bomb threat on that train (laughs) He was like, oh we've got this, the ultimate nullifier Whatever it was called uh, (laughs) You know, that destroys everyone Unless you have the extra life coin (laughs) Uh, I don't know how method he is Yeah, that that, that bomb Yeah, that that kills every everything on a planet Or something Yeah, Uh, The Zemeckis cube, that was quite cool With the Back to the Future theme And then it reverses time 30 seconds um, although I don't know how that works for those avatars. Do they just get rewound? It's weird. Yeah, I think their feed would just reverse, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. But does it happen for everyone throughout the whole thing? Does it only happen for people in that instance? I don't it know. It seems like it's quite, quite neat. Quite neat anyway. It was neatly done. Yeah. You pick until now to use it? Like, yeah, well, why not? It wasn't, it wasn't so much the action sequences that I wanted. I mean, I, I did like, I don't know if you liked it or not, but I did like the, the sort of opening uh, race. I, well, I thought, thought it was race, quite neat. Yeah, I thought the race was great. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, it actually tells you everything you need to know about the Oasis without mm. without words, and therefore rendering the entire opening pointless. I think there's I think there's elements of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't hate the opening with the, the obviously as much as you do, but I I do think that that opening race was was pretty neat, and you could have had just an opening speech from the the funeral, and then went into that race. Yeah, I think it would have worked just as um, just as easily, and would have put over quite a lot of the information well, think, that you um, needed. Yeah, I think the idea is the first um, the first scene in the film is effectively, or the first scene in the, or a better first scene would have been Halliday sitting up in his coffin, 
and saying that I've hidden three keys. You have to find them, and then yeah, and and, then it, and the first the first thing is this, yeah, yeah. Then you go into the race, and you get kind of bombarded with this visual storytelling that sets yeah. up the world that you're in, and uh, and and stuff like that. Yeah, maybe I'd have gone with like you know his video, like his the video that he streams out when he dies. Maybe like intercut that with like a sh- you know a sweeping shot over the the racetrack, and it's like going up all to the cars, and yeah, and then just have the you know, the race start immediately at the end of the, you know, the red, yellow, green start immediately at the end of the video and everyone just goes zooming along. Yeah. And, oh, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, yeah. other, the other bit I wasn't too sure about in the whole thing was turning Ogden Morrow into just Ask Jeeves within the game or within the, the world. I didn't. And that raises quite a lot of questions, doesn't it? Yeah, there's it's quite a lot of like, well, has he just been like plugged in the entire time <laughs> waiting yeah, for people that- to... To, vi- to yeah. visit, I don't, I don't yeah. know. And then also, if he just I had this, I think it was a pre-programmed avatar that he built. Um, yeah, and then you can occasionally sort of come in and interact if he wants, kind or of. Or he would check the logs or something like that, you know. But he seemed to give the suggestion that it was him that decided to give him the coin, the extra life coin. Well, it's perhaps after the first clue is solved, he decides to plug himself in and and hang about because he knows what will happen next. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Potentially, but it's um, that was part of what I thought was a bit. I I wasn't sure what I wanted them to do with that character, considering that they had changed it. Um, but I thought that was a little bit weird. But I, it's better than the invincible guy flying around. It's better than Invincible Man with sort of laws of editing and able to sort of change absolutely anything or almost anything in the little universe that he wants. But yeah. at the same time. I wasn't sure, but anyway, they 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 included the character, and it was you know, I thought Simon Pegg was all right, so why not? Yeah, yeah Simon Pe- I like Simon Pegg; he's fun. Yeah, he he was fine. Um, I think his contribution at the end was a bit expositiony. You know, mm. like, congratulations, you know, on the Oasis, and it's like, yeah, we're going to run it together because we like just met a few hours ago and stuff. So I totally trust these guys. And it's like, yeah, okay, four people running it, whatever, go for it, and then and then you've got the whole. We close the Oasis two days a week. It's like, all right, so the world's economy stops two, two sevenths out of a week. Interesting. Well, well, you know, they said it wasn't a popular move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, there's just people, like, starving and stuff because they can't get in to buy, like, food. Well, that's when you step in with your new Oasis, which is called Oasis, available two days a week, it is available on. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Sorrento does next, well, yeah. after he gets out of prison. There's, there's your sequel. Yeah, Oasis two point It's all, it's open on the two days. The other one's shut. Yeah, everyone loves it. Yeah. Well, we're not getting a. Well, I don't think we're getting a sequel. But only is anyone now more excited for was it Armada, the next Ernest Klein? That's getting a film, isn't it? No, no, not excited at all. I don't think I'm not like I'm not read it. You know, have. you know what I feel like. I feel like um, Ralph breaks the internet will be a better version of this. Oh, the Wreck-It Ralph film. Yeah, yeah, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's the same sort of idea. Sort of. Yeah, everyone's just in the internet and it yeah. goes awry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, um, I feel like I've exhausted my opinions on it. Uh, Chris, do you have any final thoughts? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. Have we suitably depressed you with our negativity? 
No, no, I think you're, <laughs> you're absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're wrong, but absolutely fine. Oh, you're wrong, but yeah, it's, it's up to you. I mean, I, I, I've, like I said at the beginning, I enjoyed the film for exactly what it is. Um, I was trying to turn it's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, <laughs> turn me into internet douche. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, your I'm, mum is your mum is like a slut. But you, so. yeah, yeah, like uh, up yours, man. <laughs> no, I'm too polite to be internet douche. Um, it's um, yeah. I mean, I I just enjoyed it for what it is. It's got tons of fun references. It's got a lot of action. There's a lot on screen. There's a lot of little fun bits, and I enjoyed the book for the same reason. I mean, you went in having not liked the book, so the chances of you suddenly turning around and finding the film the best thing ever were not particularly high. So, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've got to accept that. I, I wanted to enjoy this film. That's the thing. I mean, I want to enjoy every film I go and see, of course, because I don't want to spend two hours hating something. Two hours and a two hours twenty minutes or whatever this thing is, uh, hating on something because you know it's just not. It's not a good use of time. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for anything. But, like, yeah, it, it's true I didn't like the book. And I do think that Spielberg fixes a lot of the problems the book has. Um, although by turning Wade into less of a creep, they make him nothing. They make him a blank slate instead. Which is, you know, better, but it's not interesting. Uh, and, and as I said, the, the, con- the sort of compression of the storyline and changing the sequences. So, you know, the, instead of... Um, Instead of playing, what is it? Uh, what game is it they play with? He plays with the demon in the in the book. Like he oh, gets the, joust, isn't it? Yeah, joust. That's it. So he, instead of playing joust with a CGI demon, which would have been really boring, a race is much more int- is much more fun. Instead of reenacting scenes from a film, they have to kind of explore the world of the film, and then uh, the first Easter egg to find the Easter egg. It's kind of fun, or the first video game Easter egg. Anyway, it's kind of a it's kind of a good connecting idea, and then the final message of "I wasted my life, don't waste yours," has merit. Definitely has merit, and I think Halliday is an interesting character because it's you know he, he was kind of embittered by his own obsession, which is you know which is always interesting just to drink in the flaws of that, but um, it does lose itself in the you have to get lost in his obsession to get to the point where he tells you, don't get lost in my obsession. Uh, it's, I don't know, as a realisation moment, it might be like the nuke heading towards comic book guy in that Halloween episode of The Simpsons, you know, where he, he's like, Aquaman, you can't marry a woman without gills, you've got no, you're from two different worlds, and then looks up and sees the nuke and says, I've wasted my life. And then it explodes. It's just, yeah, there's, it's something like that. But, um, so there were some good ideas in there. I just don't think they were done particularly well. And it's definitely an improvement over the book, which I'll never read again. Um, it was an easy read, but I don't feel the need to revisit this world at any point. See, I liked the book when I, re- I read it when it came out. So is it 2011 or 2010? It was a few years ago. So yeah, I can't remember, when the, but I can't remember much about the book because it was a long time ago. But I remember enjoying it when I read it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like chewing gum for the the brain, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's all right. Yes, I'd yeah. say the book's definitely better than the film, in my opinion. But I, like, yeah, it's based on yeah a book that I, I read like maybe six years ago. So if I went back to, it, I'm not sure how I like yeah. 
whether or not it's aged with time or it's gone weird and yeah it's hard to tell it's very hard to tell yeah so since it's a video game the score is 2-1 in terms of enjoyment versus not enjoyment or not enjoyment versus enjoyment to marry up the scores I don't know that's the, that's the gamer score any final thoughts before we wrap up for, for good uh, as, a, as a fun little on the spot aside what would your gamer tag be since it's all about gamer tags uh, don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'd be really imaginative and call myself Chris you'd have to be the first Chris that ever logged in I probably would be. I'm that cool kind of guy that gets onto these platforms very early. I annoy the, the I annoy Chris. the other two Chris McCrells that exist on the internet by trying to get there first. Yeah. Chris underscore McCrell underscore your birth year. <laughs> the standard. Or, or or the year that you signed up is the normally the other one. Yeah. They don't like putting your birth year there, otherwise someone will hack your password. You know, it's like leaving yeah. it on a post-it next to your chair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I would go for the, the usual, my very first gamer tag, way back when I used to play Star Trek Armada online and uh, Red Alert 2 online. On dial-up connections, by the way, guys. You used to be able to game online with dial-up connections. Can you imagine? You don't have to imagine. I lived it. So, uh, yeah, uh, so I would go for Nemesis 4909. Well, I'm Monster Adams on Reddit. And yeah, and some other things, and Freya Lafer's daughter on Instagram. So, one of them, I guess. They're my sort of go-to ones. Fair enough. Yeah. Turns out someone's taken it, and you have to fight them to the death. Got to fight to the death. Yeah, That's you just show up with an ultimate nullifier and blow them at bits. Ah, but you also get taken out by the nullifier. What you want to do is stomp them uh, with your massive uh, iron giant foot. That would work. Yeah, cool. So, thank you guys for joining in what is a bit more of a divisive discussion than usual. Normally, we're more or less on the same page about stuff, so it's interesting to see that we talk about stuff that we didn't necessarily all. Like. Well, I'm, I'm sure on the Marvel uh, podcast we will all be in total agreement. Yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us disagree in the Marvel uh, chat about yeah, no, uh, Avengers, be... which is coming to a podcast feed near you soon. We'll all be animated and talkative and none of us will be watching the new Han Solo trailer at any point. No, no, not at all. <laughs> of course. Uh, yes. Lots of editing for Craig to do. Lots of editing. So, on that note, uh, Chris, thank you for appearing and trying to defend this, this film. <laughs> thank you. And Isaac, thank you for being here. Yeah, I finally liked being on a podcast. <laughs> the Christmas one. I don't remember the Christmas one. Uh, I, don't think I, I don't think I really enjoyed that one either. Wow. Okay. Uh, Isaac hates podcasts, everyone. Yeah, I hate podcasts. <laughs> or, I just hate being on podcasts. But I'll probably end up being on them again because I live here. There's no escape, Isaac. We all no pity escape. you, but someone had to take that bullet. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Just embracing my inner internet troll, Craig. Embracing t- my inner internet troll. Everyone's turned against me, but it's all right because your mothers are sluts. That's how if I anyone's looking it. for a flatmate near the meadows, just put a, put a little comment in the comment section below or whatever. 
internet troll seeks like-minded individual. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you guys, and we'll see me, you again. Put my shepherd's pie on. That was our discussion on Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Thanks to YouTubers Alessandro Bazzari and 331ERock for the supplied music. If you enjoyed this discussion, then don't forget to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. And join us in the next Neil Before Pod. Peace.